All right, how you guys doing? Good. It's good to see everyone here, everyone watching online and over in the video cafe. I want to welcome you as well. Today we are starting a brand new series uh, that we're calling You Can't Lose. And so I want to right off the bat just have a conversation with you about what we're doing over the course of this month. We are going to be answering the most important question in our lives, which is what happens after you die? Now, this is the question that every major religion has to come up with some form of an answer to, and it's a question that many people have. And so, if you know there are people in your life, maybe in your family or friends, the people that you work with, who do not know the answer to that question, I want to really encourage you to bring them specifically to this series. You know, studies have shown that the vast majority of people will come to church if someone simply invites them. And so I'm asking you to have some courage this week if you have someone that you know maybe wrestling with that very question and get them here as we start this conversation. Now the reason that we are doing this series is because we know that many of you here at City Church are also asking this same question. Uh, last year, we did a series that we called Religion Made Simple, and in it we did something we do from time to time where we'll have a question and answer from the stage, and we give you an opportunity to text in your questions. Well, during that series, we were pretty overwhelmed with how many people texted in a question similar to, can I lose my salvation. I've believed in Jesus. Maybe I've even been baptized. I've been told that I'm going to heaven, but is there a way I can be sure? And so to be really honest with you, I struggled with that same question uh, for a long time in my life. I believed in Jesus when I was pretty young and I was actually even baptized by my grandfather who was a Southern Baptist preacher. However, even though I had believed in Jesus and even though I had been baptized, I was still kind of bad every once in a while. Now, as a little kid, it was just like hiding things from my parents or fighting with my sister. But as I got older, the severity of my offenses, the, the severity of my sins seemed to grow with me. And all of this led to a lot of confusion in my life because I knew that I had believed in Jesus, but at times I was living like hell. And I would think about this and I would get worried and I would get scared. And there were countless nights that I would lay there awake really wondering whether or not God was still going to allow me into his perfect heaven. And so I'd get scared and I'd start praying a little more and I'd read my Bible more often or maybe go to a couple extra church services hoping that I could earn my way back into God's good graces. But inevitably, I would mess up again and the entire cycle of fear would start over. And so I spent most of my life afraid of God and wondering if I would measure up to get into heaven someday. And so I wonder if this sounds familiar to you. I wonder if maybe there aren't nights where you lay awake wondering if your salvation still sticks, imagining that all of the bad things you've done in your life, all the areas where you've jacked things up, if they will disqualify you from entrance into heaven. And I want you to know right off the bat that 
if in fact you think that way, you are not alone. I have talked to countless Christians, people who have believed in Jesus, who live in fear that they have lost their salvation. It's like in their lives they're constantly hanging between heaven and hell, struggling to do enough good things to hang on to eternal life with God someday. And so I have the real pleasure to work here at City Church with Mrs. Amy, who is our Kid City director. And one time I heard her give the most incredible example of why thinking about salvation that way simply doesn't work. And so we decided to actually show you her illustration today, but I'm gonna need some help, so I've asked my good friend Jonathan to come out and help me out. Would y'all help me? Welcome, Jonathan. Back out to the stage. Thank you, Jonathan. So, what we're gonna do is very simple. We're gonna use this pull-up bar as an illustration for our salvation. And so let's say that Jonathan just believed in Jesus and that this bar represents his newfound salvation. And so why don't you go ahead and get up and, uh, and hang on to your salvation, all right? So don't let go, I'll be done in about 25 minutes, all right. This is how many people imagine what salvation looks like. Something that you believe in and that gets you to heaven, but once you've believed, you have to hang on to it with all of your might. And that's a lot of pressure. That's a really big task to hang on to your own salvation for however much longer God gives you on this earth. And so maybe when you first believe, it feels attainable, like I can do this, I can live a great life. But an hour or a day or a week later, you get tempted. And even though you've believed in Jesus, maybe you act a little bit like you haven't. And it's the same thing when Jonathan first jumped up on this bar, it was probably pretty simple. It felt like he could go all day. But now the lactic acid is building in his muscles and his shoulders are tired and his poor belly button is exposed to the elements. <laughs> His hands are beginning to cramp and pretty soon that floor is gonna look very tempting. In fact, it may even be irresistible. And this is what happens to us in our Christian lives. We start out strong, we try to hold on to our own salvation, we try to do enough good things, but eventually we fall. Would you guys thank Jonathan for coming out here? And so here's the reality, the idea that you, that any of us as flawed, broken people can hang on to our own salvation is as impossible as someone hanging on to this bar for the rest of our lives. And so the question today that we have to ask is, is there a way to be sure about your eternal destiny or are we stuck living in this limbo, hanging between heaven and hell for the rest of our lives? Now I think to answer that question, we first have to understand why it is that we need salvation in the first place. What exactly are we being saved from? Well to put it simply, the Bible says that we are being saved from eternal separation from God and if you're separated from God, you are also separated from everything that is good. 
Now, how did this all start? You see, we know that God created the world to be a perfect place. And when he created it, he created his greatest part of his creation was, was us, as human beings. And he created us with a free will. What that means is we get to choose how we are going to live our lives. It's the greatest gift he ever gave us. In fact, it's how we know that he really loves us because he didn't create us as slaves or robots who are just programmed to do what he wants. He created us free. Now eventually, humans chose to live their life in a way where they rebelled against God. They sinned against him. In other words, they went against God's desire for their life. And that is a big problem because the Bible tells us that God hates all sin and that all sin must be punished. And what that means for us is that Our sin separates us from God, both now and in eternity, unless we find a way to pay the price of our sins. And so you fast forward to today, to 2017, and we all are aware that there is something wrong with our world. We see mass shootings and racial tensions. We see political divisiveness and teenage suicide. And we look around and we know that the world is broken. But what you may not know is that the brokenness of our world is a direct result of man's decision to sin. And here's the deal. Because humans created this problem a human would have to find a way to fix it. It's man versus sin, and for thousands of years, sin continually won. But all of that began to change one day with the birth of a boy named Jesus. Now, in the Bible, there are four Gospels. Uh, The Gospels are historically verified eyewitness accounts of the life of Jesus, and they tell us about a very real birth from a very real woman, and this is so important because what it means is that Jesus was 100% human. He was brought into this world the same way that we were with pain and blood, and he grew up with hopes and fears and desires and hungers. Jesus was all human. And although we know that he was 100% human, Jesus was also 100% God. So the gospel of John starts like this. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and through him all things were made and without him nothing was made that has in fact been made. These are some pretty incredible writings and whatever else it means, what we know is that the word is God. And so John continued and he said that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, Jesus, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John lets us know that the word he is talking about is in fact Jesus himself. The word Jesus put on a human suit. He put on flesh and blood and came down as a real human to live among us. 
But it's also important to connect the dots because John says that the word is God. And he says that Jesus is the word. And so logically, we know that Jesus is God. Not only 100% human, but also 100% God. Now, if you're wondering at this point how God could be both on earth as Jesus and still in heaven as the Father, uh, then that's a a perfectly fair question to, to ask at this point. And there is a long, complicated answer, but I hope to make it really simple for us today. So let me put it like this. There is one God, and that's important to know. There is only one God, but that God is comprised, he is made of three persons. One God, three persons that we know as God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. This is what people are talking about if you've heard the term the Trinity. Now, if it's still confusing, something that really helped me recently understand the nature of God being one God with three persons was the simple example of a triangle. So in a triangle, there is just one triangle in my hand. But within the triangle, there are three unique angles. And if you added an angle, or if you took an angle away, you would no longer have a triangle. And in the same way that there is one triangle with three unique angles, we have one God that is comprised of three unique persons, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is part of what we believe it is called the Trinity and explains how God the Father could be in heaven and still send God the Son down to earth. It's not two different gods, it's two persons of the same God. And because this is how God exists, it allowed for the uniqueness of Jesus to be 100% human as well as 100% God. And that incredible reality is what allowed Jesus to fulfill his mission on earth. You see, Jesus didn't come to just hang out with us. He didn't come to impress us with some cool miracles. He came to defeat sin. It was now Jesus versus our sin. Now we said from the beginning that all sin must be paid for. And so the question is, what is the cost How exactly do you pay for sin? And before we answer that, I want us to think about our lives briefly. To think about how many times you and I have really messed things up. How many times we've fallen off of the bar. How many lies that we have told. How many times our anger has spilled out to other people. How many bad decisions we've made. How many lustful thoughts we've had. How many hateful thoughts we have thought. We've broken the rules, we have messed up, and over the course of our lifetimes, we have put together some pretty impressive rap sheets. And God sees every one of our sins. And that is bad news because the Bible says that the cost of our sin, the way we pay for sin, the wages of our sin is death. The consequences of all of our mistakes, 
all of our rap sheets is our life. And when you read the Bible, you see this to be true. Sin always required death. And not just death in the sense of your life ending here on earth, but the kind of eternal death that comes from being separated from God forever. And so our sins and our inability to hold on to our own salvation, the fact that we have free choice and we use it and abuse it to be selfish and get our way is a big deal. And it's why the uniqueness of Jesus matters. You have to remember that humans are the ones who jack things up. And so it's going to require a human to fix it. But none of us can live a good enough life to actually defeat sin. It would take living a perfect life from birth to death. And only God could do that. And so Jesus came as 100% man to qualify him to pay for our sins, but he also came as 100% God to enable him and make him capable of doing it for us. The Apostle Paul wrote that Jesus, being in very nature God, he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage, but instead being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The cost of your sins is your life, but in the most amazing act in the history of the world, Jesus, the God-man, came to earth to substitute his own life for yours. Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to, and when he died, the power of your sin died with him. In another place, Paul wrote that you were dead because of your sins. You were out of luck. But then God made you alive with Jesus Christ. He forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. The rap sheet of every sin that you and I have ever committed and every sin we will commit later in our very flawed and imperfect lives was charged against Jesus and was nailed with him to his cross. And what you need to know that it's not that your sins never happened. They don't simply disappear. Sin always must be punished. But instead of you being punished for them, Jesus was punished for you. Your sins, when you believe in Jesus, are taken out of your ledger. And they are put onto Jesus' tab. And this is why we can have assurance of our salvation It's because of the uniqueness of Jesus, all man and yet all God and willing to die for your sins and now you can't lose because he can't lose. He's God. You know, one of my favorite authors painted this picture another way to help us really understand what it is that Jesus has done for us. He said, imagine a king who, having discovered a theft in the royal treasury, someone stealing the king's own money, decrees that the criminal be publicly and violently flogged as a payment for the crime. However, when 
soldiers haul the thief before the king as the king sits in his judgment seat. There before him in chains crouches the frail form of the king's own mother. And could you imagine the predicament because what is a kingdom without justice? What is a king who can't enforce the law but also the love? What kind of love is there that can compare to the love of a son to his mother? But without flinching, the king orders the old woman to be bound to the whipping post in front of him. And as soon as she is secured, he asks everyone to stop. And the king stands up and he lays his royal scepter aside. He removes his jeweled crown and then he takes off his royal robes. The king walks down from his throne and comes up to the tiny old woman and wraps her in his arms. And then he orders the punishment to commence. And blow after blow that was meant for the criminal, the punishment that she deserved, none of it touched her. Every beating, every lash landed with full force upon the back of the king who was completely innocent. And it continued until the last lash fell. You have to understand this is what Jesus has done for us. We offended God with our sin, but that very God the king of the universe stepped off of his throne. He came down to this broken world and willingly substituted his life for yours. And why would a perfect God do this? Why would Jesus choose to be publicly beaten and humiliated and killed in the worst way imaginable? The Bible says that he did it because he loves you. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And so what you need to know is that every laceration, every hit of the whip, the nails piercing Jesus' skin, hanging him to a cross, the humiliation of jeering crowds, the wrath of the payment for all the sins of all the world, past, present, and future, it was all because Jesus loves you. And he knew that we are incapable of hanging on to our own salvation. It took Jesus, all man and all God, to earn it for us. He wanted you to know that you can't lose because he can't lose. He's God. And so right where you are, I wanna ask you if you would close your eyes just to create some space for yourself and for the people around you. I first wanna to talk to those of you who have already believed in Jesus. You have put your faith into him for your eternal salvation. And I want you to know that you never again have to spend another restless night in fear that God may someday keep you out of heaven for the things that you've done. You can be sure because it's not about what you can do, it's about what Jesus has already done for you. And in fact, 
when we live, like we have to add on to what Jesus did, like we have to somehow earn a part of our salvation, what we're telling God is that what Jesus did for us wasn't quite good enough. And that's not what we believe. We believe that Jesus paid it all and he did it for you. Now, if you're here and you never have believed in Jesus, you've never put your faith in him, then the bad news is that you are still in a losing battle with sin. And you can be assured that your rap sheet will catch up with you someday. But the good news is that today, you can make a decision to transfer all of your guilt, all of your wrongdoings onto Jesus' account that has already been paid for with his blood. And all that Jesus asks us to do is to simply believe. If you can't answer the question of where you will go when this life is over, then today you have an opportunity to walk out of here with assurance, knowing that you can't lose because of what Jesus has done for you. And so if you're here today and you want that, you've never believed in Jesus, but you're ready to have some assurance of what comes after this life, I wanna ask you in a moment of courage just to show me your hands, just to raise your hand. Thank you. And to acknowledge your belief, if you've raised your hand, you can pray out loud or just pray in your mind, God can hear it all, a prayer like this. Jesus, I do believe in you. I believe that you are 100% God. And I believe that as a man, you died on a cross for me. And because of my belief, I thank you for taking my sins and paying for them all. I thank you for eternal life and for a new life today. And I ask this all in your name, amen.